0: Mitch and I are in the midst of moving into our new apartment in Germany, and uh, it took a couple months for all of our boxes to get from sunny LA to here in Stuttgart, but today I'm sorting through clothes, board games, but most importantly, I have a whole box of books that have arrived. Um, I didn't want to bring all of them, but I brought a few of my favorites, and this one which is my favorite, is called Wednesday is Indigo Blue. So this is a book that's all about synesthesia, and it's absolutely fascinating. I have to make a little Curiosities episode on it for all of you, so let's talk about it, shall we? Oh, why, hello, all of you lovely curiosity enthusiasts. I'm Kendall Long, and this is my podcast, Little Curiosities. So you may know me as that crazy taxidermy girl from The Bachelor series where I was on a quest for love, but with this podcast, I'm on a completely different quest. I'm on a quest for knowledge. So the reason for my unique taxidermy hobby and the very reason for this podcast is to express my obsessive passion for science, zoology, botany, and pretty much anything that has to do with the natural world, and sometimes even beyond. Little Curiosities is a place where I can take a spark of curiosity and just really dive into it. And today's episode is on a topic I came across just by chance. I actually discovered it while I was looking through other people's trash of all places. So let's get into it. I'm a book scavenger. No lie. You know those boxes that people leave out that are abandoned and just full of random books? Honestly, I've never passed by one of those without rummaging through its contents just to see if something piques my interest inside. During these investigations, I've honestly come across enough cookbooks to open up a dedicated bookstore on the subject. But it's all about where you spot these cardboard treasure chests. It literally makes all the difference, and the quality of its contents are different depending on where you look. And I have to say, I found the prime location for book scavenging is in San Francisco, People read some wildly weird stuff there. I should know. I lived there for around five years when I was going to college there. And I've acquired books on yogi gurus, palm reading, a miniature pocketbook on ASL, and a seemingly very vintage leather-bound book with pages upon pages of listed chemicals, botanicals, and other raw materials, along with their uses. It was almost like some kind of science witch spell book. I don't know. I still have it in my collection today because I think it's so cool. But this episode is inspired by a specific book I happened upon while on my rummaging escapades. In my old building right on Sutter Street near the Tenderloin of San Francisco, they called it the Tenderloin because apparently police could make enough money in bribes to afford Tenderloin steaks. That's That's how it got its name. So if you want an idea of where I lived, just think about that. There was a section right outside of the trash room where people would leave a plethora of abandoned treasures. I, being the collector that I am, would always sneak a peek at the goods whenever I saw that someone put something new there. And one day I eyed an abandoned box full of books, my favorite, inside a title caught my eye. Wednesday is indigo blue. It was a cream-colored book with a splash of rainbow watercolors on the cover, and it intrigued me. And the thing that made me the most curious about it was this quote that was on the cover that read, a unique and indispensable guide for anyone interested in how we perceive the world. And at the time, I had no idea who or what we the book was referring to, but I was determined to find out. So I plucked the book from the box and soon it would become one of my favorites. And it was also one of the books that I would pack up to send to Germany and then unpack months later and find to create this episode. As you may have discovered from my spark earlier in this episode, that book was dedicated to the subject of synesthesia, For those that are unfamiliar with the term, synesthesia is when an individual experiences a mixing of senses. Put another way, it's a neurological condition where information that is meant to only stimulate one of your senses ends up stimulating several at once. Some synesthetes, as they are called, can feel sound, hear colors, and see times as different points in space. For instance, a synesthete listening to this podcast right now may be able to not only hear my voice, but see, feel, or even taste it. There's something a bit disturbing about picturing someone tasting my voice. I really hope it's a good flavor for you listening out there. Sorry if my voice tastes gross. There are multiple different combinations of sense mixing. Each person perceiving the world through synesthesia quite literally has a completely different experience based off of the type of synesthesia they have. Even those with the same type experience it in slightly different ways. It's seemingly custom to the individual's experience with their senses. And these perceptions are involuntary. They don't choose to have these experiences. When one sees colors as shapes or any other form of synesthesia, they don't think about it. It just happens in their brains. And they're predictable. For instance, maybe for one person, the word curiosity will always taste like tangerines and the word frog like pancakes. If I had that form of synesthesia, I would just sit in bed all day saying my favorite taste-associated words. <laughs> curiosity, curiosity. It feels like I'm like tasting a tangerine juice all the time. That'd be great. It's estimated that only about two to four percent of the population experience this condition, but it's tricky to measure because you may not realize it if you have it. You may just think, yeah, that's how the world has always been and everyone experiences that way. You right now listening, you could have synesthesia yourself. I explain a few types of synesthesia later in the episode, so keep listening to see if any of them sound familiar to you. And please let me know if they do, because it would be really cool if this podcast allowed you to realize you had synesthesia. So synesthesia is seen more as a trait, like having blue eyes or brown hair, rather than a disorder, simply because there's no damage caused since the trait is harmless. There's also a theory that everyone could potentially be born with synesthesia. When our brains are brand spanking new and we're taking in a mix of all these sounds, colors, tastes, and ideas, then as we age, our brains become less malleable solidifying borders between information we absorb from the outside world, making sense of things. But for a lucky few, some of their senses remain mixed. To get a small sample of people who may experience this mixed sense reality, I took to Instagram where I asked all of you if you had any experiences or knew anyone with synesthesia. And this is what you had to say. One of you wrote, My sister tastes colors. She's the only person in our family that has synesthesia. So whether synesthesia is passed down is still kind of debated, but it does look like genes are responsible and causing these experiences. Though for this person, it doesn't appear that any other family members have that gene of synesthesia. In most studies, it looks like the phenomena runs in families, with 40% of individuals with this condition reporting a first-degree relative that also shares it, so like a mom or a dad. Or maybe even a twin. Kylie, if you have synesthesia, let me know. Maybe I just got the bad part of the twin gene. Or maybe I have synesthesia and I just didn't know it. For those of you that don't know, I have a twin sister named Kylie, so that's why I'm shouting her out. Another one of you lovely commenters wrote, My grandma does. All numbers have personalities and stories. Terrible at math. LOL. Okay, so though I don't associate numbers with personalities, I can certainly relate to being really awful at math, just like your grandmother. I'll get more into other specific forms of synesthesia later, but the mixing of emotions and numbers is a form of synesthesia known as ordinal linguistic personification, where ordered sequences and numbers, letters, days of the week, and months are associated with personalities and or genders. I wonder if math class was more like a reality TV show with all those numbers mixing personalities with their equations. It's honestly no wonder why she was bad at math, though I would be extremely entertained. I bet all that drama was very distracting. Six is scared of seven because seven was jealous and eight nine, which was arrogant. So honestly, maybe nine deserved it anyway. I don't know. See, I'm already invested. Call a producer! With another comment I received, I was fascinated to find a link between autism and synesthesia when one of you said, My daughter's autistic. She tells me she sees colors when she hears sound." So though synesthesia isn't specific to autism, it does seem to be quite common with autistic individuals. In fact, the rate of synesthesia in autism is nearly three times greater, with 7.22 of individuals without autism experiencing synesthesia to nearly 18.9 of autistic individuals with synesthesia. Researchers have concluded that both conditions involve atypical neural activity, so this could be why the two conditions are linked. Thank you all so much for contributing to this episode by sharing your experiences. Your comments always lead me down a bit of a rabbit hole where I learn something completely new that I would have never thought to research otherwise. So I'm grateful to everyone who contributed to the episode. Thank you so much. You all listening right now can be a part of the conversation too. And also keep a lookout for other hints at potential future episodes by checking out my stories on Instagram at it's Kendall long. It makes me so incredibly happy when all of you join in on a conversation. It really does add to each and every single one of these episodes. And this synesthesia episode, along with episodes I've done in the past, just wouldn't be the same without all of you contributing. So thank you so much again. Alrighty, so it's time to get into the types of synesthesia, but before I do, when I first read about this seemingly magical, wonderful world of senses mixing with each other, I immediately sought out a number of different tests and online quizzes to see if I myself had any inkling of synesthesia. But alas, I came away empty-handed, at least for now, because there are many different forms of synesthesia. Some even say there are upwards of 80 different mixed sensory experiences, and there's just so many that I couldn't cover all of them, but I'm going to cover a few that I found really interesting in this episode. On a side note, if we break down the word synesthesia, the beginning of the word synesthesia is syn, meaning joined or coupled together. So as the name suggests, there could be two or more senses involved in any one individual's experience of synesthesia. Some even have five or maybe six senses, and that's a lot of possible pairings. And it really sounds chaotic just thinking about all those senses mixing together in the brain. So that is why there are so many different possible types of this condition out there. If we look at the root of the word, esthesia, it means sensation. This root is also shared with anesthesia, meaning no sensation, <laughs> like when you get knocked out from a surgery. I've actually gone under once for a minor operation, and I'm going to tell you, I wasn't sensing much of anything. So, all right, sin joining, anesthesia sensations. Got it? Good. Something interesting to note is that if someone has one type of synesthesia, they have a 50% chance of having a second type, and possibly a third or a fourth type. It seems like once the sensory gates are open, combinations of senses just flood in willy-nilly. But let's take a closer look at the different types of these merging of senses. I can't explain all of them fully here, like I said before, but I'll give you a few different examples and dive into them. So starting out, we'll have grapheme color synesthesia. This is the most common type of synesthesia where people see numbers, letters, or words as colors. In the book I was telling you about, Wednesday is Indigo Blue, there's a story of a toddler who was upset because the alphabet letters on his wooden blocks didn't match with colors he associated them with in his mind. His mom, of course, understood because she, too, had this form of synesthesia— It's important to note that just because synesthesia looks to be passed down in the family, like I mentioned earlier, it doesn't necessarily mean that the type of synesthesia is passed down. So the mother may taste sound, but the son or daughter sees letters or colors, etc. Another case of grapheme color synesthesia I read about in Discover Magazine, and it showed a picture of a woman smiling in front of a large poster with a few horizontal rows lined with colored squares. To her, each colored square corresponded to a letter in the names of members of her family. So, for instance, her husband Tom, T O M, was navy blue, black, navy blue, while her favorite name, Emily, was yellow, navy blue, white, periwinkle, and light yellow. So to get an idea of what this woman may perceive, I did color each letter in according to her color association on my script. And the verdict? I mean, it certainly makes writing a script more fun and enjoyable because all the pretty colors are, they're kind of cool. But it does also make me wonder if the colors of the names played a role in her choosing her children's names. And... So when I looked at her kids' names, I was like, wait a minute, none of them are named Emily, even though her favorite name is Emily with the colors. And I'm like, why did she not name her daughter that? Probably just to avoid favoritism? I'm not sure. The verdict is still out on that. Okay, so it's important to note that everyone who experiences color synesthesia experiences it unique to themselves. So, for instance, one person with grapheme color synesthesia may see the color brick red when they think of the letter B, while another associates it with lime green. It's this fact that leads some researchers to believe that part of the association between the senses, in this case, let's say letters and colors, are acquired by their own individual life experiences. Different backgrounds lead to unique color palettes associated with the letters or words to the individual. On the other hand, some studies have found that there are some commonalities across certain letters, such as A, which is pretty likely to be red, And it's funny because I was like, what color would A be? And I automatically thought red. And I think it has to do with A is apple and apples are red. I don't know. But once a certain sensory pairing is established, which happens primarily during childhood, that pairing remains fixed for life. Synesthesia is a highly inherited phenomenon, so individuals are born with the condition. But then exposure to things like calendars, colors, and alphabets, food names, and other cultural objects or ideas start to develop connections in their hyper-connecting brains. So let's go to another type of synesthesia, chromesthesia, aka colored hearing. This means that sounds can conjure up an experience of color, Anything from a person's voice to a dog barking can invoke chromesthesia, and quite often this type of synesthesia can trigger visual sensations as well, like shapes and textures. To get an idea of what this is like, imagine listening to your favorite song and experiencing bursts of color like your own personal rainbow firework show. Something I came across quite often when researching for this episode was that there are a lot of famous artists that have synesthesia, and specifically chromesthesia. It's believed that this condition is more predominant in creative minds, which makes sense. And because of this, you may not be surprised to find that chromesthesia is linked to a few well-known composers and musical artists. The New Zealand singer and songwriter Lord has chromesthesia, and the notes and sounds that she hears also appear as colors, textures, and forms in front of her eyes. She has said in interviews that these corresponding colors play a huge role in developing her songs and music videos. I watched an interview with her on CBS where she describes her synesthesia as a sort of colored gas that fills the room. It sounds pretty insane, and she can see smoke of colors grow and shift as she develops a song. Song. This is like one of the many times while researching this that my brain was like, what? How can this be real? But it is. She says that this creative process is not just making music, but also visual art because she can change the color and shape of what she sees as she edits the song. Her famous song, Tennis Court, went through a similar sculpting process and a bit of color correcting when she was writing it. She explains the makeover the song went through by saying that the original version of Tennis Court was, quote, the worst texture tan color, like really dated, and it made me feel sick, end quote. She goes on to say how changing the pre-chorus of the song literally changed the color of the whole song itself, quote, to all these incredible greens overnight. You can even see her color associations to sound in her music videos, where she explains that she has to get the lighting or color correction just right so it matches what she sees when she hears it playing. Her music video for the song Green Light is quite literally green, both in the video and to her when she hears it. So insane. And there are more artists who have chromesthesia, including Billy Joel, who experiences vowel endings such as A, E, or I, evoking images of blues and greens, and hard-sounding consonants like T or P associated with vivid shades of red or gold. Mozart also had chromesthesia and described the key of D major as warm and orangey, while B-flat minor was blackish. Jimi Hendrix had a similar case and described the chord E7 sharp 9 as the purple chord and utilized it to help develop his song Purple Haze. Pharrell Williams also has it. He says his synesthesia is a gift to make writing much easier. I can imagine it would be so much easier if you also see it in color and so much fun. Pharrell's own method of using chromesthesia helps him identify if a sound is off-key by seeing if the colors match or not. And honestly, the list goes on and on, including Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Billie Eilish, John Mayer, Stevie Wonder, and Kanye West, all of them revealing at one point or another that they have some form of synesthesia. I want to believe that every celebrity that claims they have some form of synesthesia does indeed have the condition— but it seems that for something that at most is believed to only affect 4% of the population, that's a surprising amount of well-known individuals that have it and celebrities are already such a small percentage of people to begin with, but that may be the reason why they're famous. You know, that might be the reason. Having synesthesia gives you like a leg up being an artist. In fact, Live Science reported that synesthesia is seven times more common in artists, poets, and novelists than the rest of the population. So, hey, maybe it's the key to success, I don't know. But with one or two of those celebrities, I'd kind of like to hook them up to a lie detector test just to make sure. Adding to the artists who have chromesthesia, someone commented on my synesthesia question on Instagram saying they got a painting from an artist by the name Melissa McCracken, who has the condition. All of her paintings are inspired by what she sees as she listens to certain songs. I went to her website and I checked out her song list. And when you click on the title of the song, it takes you to the painting that represents it. So I looked at Dear Prudence by The Beatles, and it depicts a blue and yellow background with thickly painted strokes of white and hints of red. But it was Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley that was absolutely one of my favorites. It kind of looked like a close-up chaotic orange and red black hole spitting out white smoke in a deep blue universe. I'm not sure if that was her vision, but I really liked it. I looked at each while playing the music that went with it and I tried to imagine what it would be like to see these images while hearing my favorite song. Honestly, I'm 100% jealous. And you know what other type of synesthesia I'm jealous of? One called ordinal linguistic personification where numbers, words, days of the week and months are experienced as people. For example, the word apricot may seem as happy and playful and even have a gender associated with it. Mere touch synesthesia is an absolutely wild one, so picture yourself sitting at a restaurant, looking out the window, when you see a couple hugging across the street. With mere touch synesthesia, you wouldn't just see their embrace, you would feel it, like you were feeling like you were getting a hug as you were watching them hugging. Recent research has shown that a person experiencing sensory loss after an amputation may acquire a form of mirror touch synesthesia, otherwise known as phantom limb. A study in the National Library of Medicine showed that almost one third of amputees report a tactile sensation on their phantom limb after watching someone else being touched. Yet another form of synesthesia is auditory tactile synesthesia. This also goes by the name of sound touch synesthesia. And this is when sound causes physical sensations either inside or outside of a person's body. It's a very rare type of synesthesia with only about 5% of synestites reportedly having it. I read of an individual experiencing this form of synesthesia on Reddit I feel like I have to say, I don't usually go on Reddit for my research, but firsthand accounts with this rare kind of synesthesia was really hard to find. So Reddit has a lot of people experiencing a lot of different things on their site. So that's where I went. Take it for what you will. You can believe it or not. But this person with self-proclaimed AT synesthesia said that Impact sounds, such as a car door slamming, drums, or movie explosions, resulted in them having electrical feelings in their body or pressure in their ribcage, and even feelings of heart palpitations. That kind of sounds scary to me. This form of synesthesia reminds me of another recent viral video trend, though I don't believe this is actually synesthesia, maybe? It's called ASMR, I'm sure so many of you have heard about it. Also known as Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, meaning auditory cues can trigger some individuals into experiencing physical sensations. There are so many people in dimly lit, purplish-blue rooms on YouTube and TikTok with big, hypersensitive microphones performing different, what I believe are called ASMR triggers. They'll also tap their long fingernails together, brush feathers, makeup brushes, or other instruments on the microphones and whisper everything. Not going to lie, it did give me chills while listening to some of these videos. (laughs) Because yes, I did so in the name of research for this episode. I usually quickly scroll past ASMR videos I see, but actually taking the time to listen to them was a really interesting experience. And with these videos, it does seem that a mix of sound and sometimes visual images gives a very real physical reaction, but not everyone experiences a physical reaction when watching this content about 10 to 20% of the global population are able to experience ASMR. These people are referred to as tingleheads because I feel like you get that tingly feeling when you hear people whispering into the microphone. The videos I came across on YouTube had millions of views, so I'm guessing a lot of people gained something from them, whether it be reduced anxiety, relaxation, or getting turned on. Because yes, I came across a statistic that claimed 10% of people report feeling aroused by ASMR. And okay, honesty time, I kinda get it. And while I was listening to some of these ASMR triggers, I did get tingles in my brain and on the back of my neck, accompanied by an oddly, dare I say, sexual feeling. But research indicates that this could be due to the intense relaxation or personal attention someone feels when watching these videos. A lot of these videos scream intimacy to me, so I guess because I do experience a physical reaction to these videos, that makes me a tingle head too? Is it weird that I feel like creeped out by it? I don't know. Maybe I need to embrace my tingle-headedness. Any of you guys experience it? Do you experience like that tingly-headedness when you listen to these videos? Let me know. As far as I've been able to research, ASMR isn't necessarily synesthesia, but it does fall into the same category with a neurological mixing of the senses. Other studies suggest that it's a sort of relaxing meditative experience, so the verdict is still out on this. But on to more types of synesthesia. Lexical gustatory synesthesia is another type where people experiencing this form actually taste words when reading, hearing, speaking, or even thinking of them. I saw a TED talk, The Curious World of Synesthesia, where a man by the name of James Wanerton had a very interesting depiction of the London Underground. Each name of a stop that he hears, reads, or sees on the tube correlated with a different taste. These tastes ranged greatly from apple pie to celery and even burnt matches. Ugh! I can't help but to think that this would make reading a book very distracting, (laughs) like you're tasting an entire meal, and other things you probably don't want to taste while you're trying to read, it would be impossible. This is also one of the rarest form of synesthesia, which is probably a good thing because uncontrollably being bombarded with nasty tastes would sure as heck ruin my day. So I was browsing through TikTok, looking up synesthesia, and I come across somebody named Henry Gray, and he has lexical gustatory synesthesia, which is where certain words um, have tastes associated with them. And on his TikTok, he was taking names from his followers and people who were commenting on his videos and giving them tastes associated with them. And I thought, I have to talk to this person. It's absolutely fascinating that um, he has this rare form of synesthesia so, here is that interview. Henry, yeah. how are mm. you? Welcome to Little Curiosities. I'm good.
1: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling good. Just yeah. had a long shift at work. So, it's nice to kind of sit and just have a fun conversation.
0: So, for those that don't know, what is lexical gustatory synesthesia?
1: <laughs> so, it is a very rare mental condition which I experience where it's basically I experience certain senses through other senses so for me specifically with sound like words names any words but particularly names I will get a smell I will get a taste I will get a sound I'll get an image I'll get a feeling any one of them I'll get something with pretty much every name ever I've got a friend called Isaac just tastes like a glass of water with ice
0: Ooh, so refreshing Still water
1: yeah, like Isaac. I love to just say it and get that refreshing taste in my yeah. mouth. Or the name Kevin tastes like a hot dog with kind of spicy sriracha. Spicy so whenever you're craving t- something,
0: taste. you can just say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then you get the taste of it. Oh, I do.
1: I literally, I sit at work sometimes just kind of saying a name and being like, that tastes nice. Like Charlotte, because I love chocolate. So I say Charlotte a lot because Charlotte tastes like chocolate.
0: That's interesting because um, it sounds kind of like chocolate, Charlotte.
1: Yeah, no, that is a thing. Sometimes a name... Well, very much like my, I've got a sister called Alice and that tastes like sliced apples to me, like apples cut up.
0: Chris, But then she brought up that,
1: yes, like Alice, it's like citrusy. But then she brought up that Alice is, begins with an A, so apple, and then lice is like slice.
0: So there is like a connection with it. There's a connection with certain words. When did you first realize that you perceived the world differently than everybody else in that way?
1: Yeah, so I've had it all my life, as early as I can remember, literally a tiny kid. But back then, you're so young. I just thought it was a thing that everyone had. I didn't really think anything of it. What brought it to my attention was my teacher in my primary school who would call out the register and they call out people's names to check they're in class. Yeah. Uh, if someone new joined and a Theo joined, I, I was very loud and I'd be very outspoken as a kid and I'd just go, oh, Theo, that tastes like a cotton ball. Or, or someone would shout, of, I don't know, Joe. And i will be like, oh, that's like a chunky button."
0: So you said you also experience sounds, smells as well. So it's a mixing of multiple senses, not just taste and names.
1: Yeah, I'll give you some examples of smells. So Tony smells like freshly cut grass or like Cleo. Cleo tastes like when you walk into swimming pools, you can smell the chlorine. Another weird one is Seth, which smells not very nice. It smells like really strong detergent, like really strong kind of bleach, washing up liquid.
0: The first time that I heard about you was from an article talking about how when you went to uni, I believe, when you had your flat, there were certain people that you lived around that their names just tasted disgusting to you. I had disgusting it, senses. It was... So can you explain a little bit about how
1: yeah.
0: like how that happened?
1: It was, I said this on my TikTok as well, and it got a lot of views. It was a crazy situation. I do consider myself very unlucky in this part because I got moved into a certain uni halls, and you don't choose who you're with. Let's hope you make friends. which Let's hope they taste good. Yeah, they had the worst names ever. I'll actually tell you what the names were. It was, oh no, I it was feel bad Duncan. making you
0: say that because then you're going to have to taste them.
1: <laughs> oh no. Yeah, it's fine. I can persevere. I, I appreciate um, it. <laughs> Duncan. Ugh, sorry. Kirsty's bearable, but Kirsty and a Gertrude. And these three people who all three have really... And it's rare that a name is that bad that I'm literally like, ugh. So this was crazy for me that I literally was in a halls with three people that all had really bad names. Because Duncan, the only way I can describe it is it smells like a burp after eating like kind of smoky bacon crisps or potato chips. And it just smells like a burp after eating something like that. Uh, Kirsty quite literally does, sorry to be like, if that's not rude, but like it does quite literally smell like urine. To me, so it's not nice. When you're in a back um,
0: alleyway near a pub.
1: Yes, and it, you can just smell just piss, like urine. And Gertrude tastes like when you swallow back your own sick. Ooh. So yeah. these so are like Not desirable
0: names, names uh, at all. Is it when you hear them as well, or is it when you just say them?
1: Say, hear them, and read them. Yeah, because when I read them, I'm saying them in my head. Literally, when I say read or hear them all the time. No, ugh, sometimes if I'm talking really quickly. And I'm having a conversation with someone and I'm like, oh, yeah, so I went to the thing and Heather did this. Then Izzy went there and then I saw Tyler blah, 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 and I'm talking fast. Sometimes it can just become background noise and it's not intrusive because I've had it my whole life. So I'm used to it. But I meet someone and I'm like, oh, hey, and you introduce yourself and they're like, oh, hey, I'm and they say their name. Boy, that can hit me really hard.
0: I'm um, sorry if my name tastes bad to you. My name's Kendall.
1: No, yeah, no, Kendall. I don't know why, but I, some names provoke images. Kendall to me looks like a huge candy cane. And it's, you know, when you go to Santa's Grotto sort of thing in Christmas, maybe yes. in the town centre, there's some festivities and they decorate it and it would be like two big candy canes oh. for decoration. I don't know, I'm actually I happy like, with Kendall. that one. Yeah, it's a candy cane, but it's huge and very hard. Kendall's a very hard name.
0: Ooh, okay. like it feels hard,
1: so it's You're a very like, rock-hard candy cane. Interesting. rock-hard candy cane, very big. I'm yeah, glad that yeah, my name very-
0: isn't a bad experience. I'd feel really bad if I was making no, you say Kendall, my name. And it was bad. No, Kendall
1: Kendall's nice. No problems with Kendall.
0: Are there certain words or names that don't have anything at all associated with them?
1: No, everything will give you something. Sometimes someone might say a name so for example my some on lots of online twitter tiktok i might offer up oh tell me what your name is i'll taste it and stuff or smell it sometimes someone will request a name which at first i've never heard of it before maybe it's a name from a different part of the world so at first i'll read it and maybe won't get really anything from it but then the more i read it i'll learn how to pronounce it and i'll get it around in my mouth more it will become something the more i become comfortable with the sound a
0: small of yeah, words
1: other than that, literally every single word will give me at least something. Maybe some words give more vaguer things than others. Maybe some words are more stronger in what they give me. But every single word will give me something at least. And it's not just it's not just names. The word because is a wooden clothes peg snapped in two. Uh, the word and, very simple word and, sure, it's just a connected word and, is I can see a I can see a green field with lots of strawberries and there's a cute little wooden gate and you can open this cute little wooden gate and go strawberry picking in this cartoonishly green field with loads of cartoonishly red strawberries. you have such a strong
0: imagination.
1: Yeah and that to me has always been the word and because I remember in primary school writing creative writing stories and is one that's just never changed whenever I write and it almost looks like it the a looks like the strawberry the n looks like the sort of the A and the D, N and D looks like the gate that you open to go in and pick these strawberries. It's really bizarre. I can't explain it. My brain just does it. I don't choose. Yeah.
0: So you were saying that's one that's never changed. Do sometimes the words and names change their association with different things?
1: So for example, someone asked me two years ago what Sophie was. Now, I don't really know many Sophies in my life. So Sophie wasn't a name. I don't know anyone called Sophie. And someone asked me two years ago, what do you get with Sophie? I was like, oh, Sophie. Oh my, and I got thick, bubbly shampoo. Didn't, doesn't taste like it. I can see it with Sophie. Two years later, they asked me about Sophie. And I was like, oh, Sophie, that's a, like a fat squash marshmallow. I'd only realized I'd got it differently because someone brought it up. So sometimes it's kind of what I get in the moment, but it won't change that much. Most names stay the same. But every now and then, over the years, obviously my brain does something a little bit differently to a word that I don't hear much. And it can change over time, over a long period of time. They can change slightly. And I've looked at other people with synesthesia. They're like, yeah. Do you have chat groups where you
0: can talk to other people who have similar experiences?
1: No, I've never made a group chat before, but I've met, I've chatted to a lot of individuals. Maybe I will make a group chat. But what's funny is that when I go online and I tell people about synesthesia, whether it be TikTok or Twitter, they comment like, oh, I I do this. I have this. I get tastes and things, but they didn't even know synesthesia was a word. That's very common. They had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, People synesthesia, they won't realize
0: it. They'll think that, oh, like you said, this is just how the normal world is. And then mm -hmm, one day they'll hear this podcast or they'll see your TikTok and they're like, what? This is something that I experienced too. Yeah. I've actually tried to take so many tests to see if I had any form of synesthesia and I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> I was really I, yeah, hoping that I I'm, did, but it's rare. I think only about 4% of the population has synesthesia.
1: Li- literally, yeah. I feel sorry for people who don't have synesthesia because it's so fun. What's so the I don't actually Like a whole sorry. conversation
0: um, is probably so expressive. Do you get distracted at all? Yeah, when
1: you said expressive there, I felt like cold water splashed in my face. Like expressive. it's It's not distracting though, because not all the time. Like we're in a very sort of quick conversation now because it is background noise. I've had it my whole life, it's not too intrusive. It's background noise, I can tune it out. It's just something that's just always there. Yeah, sometimes it can be distracting in certain situations, maybe at job interviews when I'm meeting people the first time, in situations that are quite maybe a bit awkward, maybe my synesthesia will just decide to absolutely go crazy when someone tells me a name or a word and I'll get it a little bit strong. But other than that, I can honestly say it's not really that much of a hindrance. I just find it fun. I find it really fun.
0: Oh, it um, sounds really fun. So it,
1: yeah, no, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. It's wild as well, it's just crazy. Cause sometimes I'm like, why is my brain doing that? Like, why is my brain deciding that Alfie feels like a bunny rabbit ear in my hand?
0: Have you ever had any like awkward moments with synesthesia where maybe someone's name tasted bad and you were just like, ugh, or?
1: The, back to the uni story. I literally, when I was in the halls with those three people I had to change accommodations, went somewhere else. I made an excuse. I said I don't. I, something like I didn't wanna be on the bottom floor or something like that, or someone I know lives upstairs. I don't want to, I can't even remember fully what I said. But then later on, the same people found my TikTok. Oh uh, no. yeah. And they saw the video and everything. And they were like, I just got a message from them, from one of them saying, oh, so you left because of my name. I've never been so offended in my life. Oh. no it was joking me. Oh, okay. and they were like they laughed it off and stuff and just thought it was absolutely crazy because just imagine if you don't know what synesthesia is you don't know what it is and then you move into halls with someone and then they decide to move out and they find out that the reason they moved out was because of your name it just that must be just crazy yeah. so they, hey, they sorry your name really
0: tastes bad to me
1: <laughs> yeah sorry your name sorry your name absolutely reeks I can't be with you. <laughs> but yeah when I worked in a pub, everyone knew me from my TikToks. So it was the first time I'd been in an environment where everyone knew I had this. So a lot of the time they'd ask me. And there was someone called Ian there and he asked me, Oh I just said it there and it's he asked me what his name was and with that name it's the sensation of earache. It's like this it's like the name Warren is the sensation of heartburn Ooh. to me. Like it's weird. And you feel that. And it's not like I'm it's not like I'm literally like in pain, but like when I say warren it's kind of like i just get this sort of echoes this sort of phantom kind of heartburn it's not really there but i could just i can feel it when i say it and ian is like it i can just feel it here in my ear and it just feels horrible it's like my ear feels blocked it feels like it's aching it feels like it's very disgusting and waxy and horrible and then i told <laughs> the ian i worked with i ended up telling <laughs> i should have just made something up i should have just pretended it tasted nice but i just told him instead and he just looked really kind of like oh. Um Aww, disappointed. He- yeah, I know everyone else got strawberry jelly, marshmallow, soft ribbons, and he just got the ear thing.
0: Aww. But yeah, do you feel like there's any advantage to having this form of synesthesia in terms of like enhancing memory? Like what's your favorite part about having? I think
1: like I do a lot of creative writing, I do a lot of creative stuff, and I do think that I'm quite good at that because of it. if I do feel like it enhances my creativity a lot. and in terms of remembering people's names, I'm absolutely like incredibly amazing you, you'll never meet someone who's more better than remembering names when people are like oh sorry i'm really bad at names yeah i'm like i'm really good at names <laughs> like, i saw you really like 10
0: years ago and i still remember your yeah, name
1: yeah i remember licking smooth wood so that's <laughs> so yeah no i'm really good at remembering names so that's positive and i think i don't know i'm just a naturally very creative person and i think i i sometimes i get the feeling synesthesia helps me in that so it yeah it seems like a good the, for
0: imagination a good way to express yourself yes. or to see things in your mind is there anyone else in your family that has any form of synesthesia no really because they say that no. sometimes it runs in families so that's interesting that you're the first one
1: I don't know maybe there was someone in my family tree from the Victorian ages that might have had it
0: they were a but, witch but they never, go, <laughs>
1: yeah they, they, yeah they were burned as a witch because <laughs>
0: Before I let you go, I want to play a quick game, a lightning round, okay. where I say words and then you tell me what they taste like.
1: <sighs> okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Word number one: curious.
1: Oh, crusty bread, crusty bread, like crusty, crumbly bread.
0: Okay. How kind about
1: hot stale? Kind of hard and stale, stale crumbly in my Dang mouth. It. Curious.
0: <laughs> yeah. How about the word tardigrade?
1: Tardy. Uh, Tardy. Oh, it's so sticky. Ooh. It's. Could you say it one more time? Tardigrade. Oh my goodness. It feels, it just like, all I'm getting is like sticky jelly on my fingers.
0: How about sticker?
1: Sticker. Oh, that's a noun. So all I get is a sticker.
0: Oh, okay. So you see like visually
1: see a sticker? Yeah. So for example, sorry, I don't think I mentioned this. I can't do words. Like someone asked me, what does the word water taste like? But all I get with water is just water. Someone asked me, what does computer taste like? And it's like, I'm sorry, I just see absolutely a computer.
0: Oh, interesting. Um, So if,
1: yeah, so those words, I can't get past what they just are. If, you know, a bench is just a bench. Mm -hmm. Lemons taste like lemons. I can't get past what that is. But they still, they're still words that give me things. It's just what they give me is what they are. Do you know what I mean?
0: Okay, okay. Well, there's a few of them that are nouns on here. So I'll try to avoid those.
1: Instead of them, just give me names. (laughs) Okay, how about, okay. Just think of your friends' names.
0: Let's see. I can give you, my fiance's name is Mitch.
1: A mouthful of tunary pasta, uh, but it's very specifically. Do you know the pasta in the shape of shells? Yes. It's specifically that pasta.
0: Oh, interesting. Um,
1: I don't know why. I don't know why. And when I say Mitch, it's the tuna's really there. It's stretchy, mm. and sometimes I feel like my tongue goes into the shell, of the pasta, and it's oh, it's just it's just a mouthful. So that. It's specific. really really nice. The ch at the end is really the stretchy tuna. Yeah, that's Ooh. Mitch.
0: Okay, how about, I have a twin sister. Her name is Kylie.
1: Okay, Kylie, I can see it's a shiny nail. Ooh, It's like a shiny blue nail. It's like a toenail, but don't think that's disgusting because it's a toenail that's gonna really shiny. I'm going to tell her, like,
0: your name is a toenail. It,
1: a shiny blue toenail. A toenail, like, painted with shiny blue nail varnish. That's Ooh. like Kylie. I can see it. I can see the brush, like, brushing off it, as I say the name, like Kylie. Ooh, like and it. it leaves it all shiny, shiny and blue.
0: Ooh, okay. How about our producer, Ryan?
1: Uh, It tastes like a Mars bar that's been in the fridge.
0: Ooh, that's a good one.
1: So like a good, like solid Mars bar.
0: Ooh, okay. How about Will? I know he's listening. He wants to know.
1: Oh, oh, Will. It's not, I feel like I'm touching my eyeball. (gasps) Really? Yeah, I feel like I've got my finger on my eye, like there, like Will, and I just put it on my eye. And it's wet and eye juice. Ooh. So not horrible, but not nice. It's an interesting sensation
0: all right and this will be my last one this might be it's kind of a noun but it's my dog's name pistachio
1: oh pistachio oh my goodness I can see like bread rising in the oven Ooh. you know when you put bread into bake and it like rises in the oven that's what I kind of saw when you said that name oh yeah and it kind of rises like pistachio but it's very round it's like a round bit of bread almost like a ball of bread and it just goes in the oven.
0: Pistachio, he's a weenie dog, so he's a little tiny sausage, so that kind of makes sense. Oh
1: <laughs> I should have said sausage then.
0: Sausage. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming and telling me all about your synesthesia. Okay, and so where can everyone find you?
1: They can find me on TikTok. My username is at henpuffs. That's H-E-N-P-U-F-S.
0: Awesome. And I love all your videos. I was looking at, you'll answer people's questions on what their name tastes like or feels like. And I found it so fascinating. Everyone, please go check him out. Such great content. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks. Thank you for having me.
0: So fascinating. I'm glad that my name didn't taste bad. A candy cane. I can deal with that. But sorry, Will. You look like or feel like pushing a wet eyeball? I don't know, that kind of gave me shivers up my spine. But it's so fascinating to know that people experience the world in this way. Honestly, I'm kind of jealous. I actually remember meeting someone way back when in college, and during our conversation, she said that the sound in my name, Kendall, tasted like cherries, and at the time, I was so confused but looking back, I realized she must have had this form of synesthesia too. And I'm glad my name tasted like cherries. It didn't taste like musky pee. Oh. Before we get into this next form of synesthesia, just a bit of a warning. This next type is a bit PG-13. Nothing too spicy, but I do refer to the says. So if you're interested, you can listen away. It's good stuff. At least I think so. Or you can earmuff and skip forward a couple minutes. If it makes you uncomfy, I won't blame you. Okay. Who's still with me? Good. I'm glad you stayed because, believe it or not, some people experience synesthesia when they climax during sex, known as orgasm synesthesia. Some report seeing colors and tasting flavors when they, um, hit that peak sexually. (laughs) So out of the 4% that experience synesthesia, a little over 2% experience these colored visions, tastes, or other sensory qualities during sexual arousal and orgasms. A group of scientists based in Hanover, Germany, actually did a study on a controlled group of 19 synesthetes who reported having sexual synesthesia. The study was primarily based on the individual's perception and opinion of the condition, with the results indicating that sexual synesthesia, quote, seemed to experience a deeper state of sexual trance without, however, enhancing satisfaction during sexual intercourse, end quote. I'm guessing this is mainly because, yes, the big O is quite amazing to everyone experiencing it, whether you have sexual synesthesia or not, hopefully. But if your unique reality is the only way you've ever experienced an orgasm, how would it be any more less satisfactory than anyone else's, right? It's relative. So without the quote normal quote orgasm to compare your synesthetic one to— I'd say it's no different than any other form of synesthesia where those experiencing it say, this is how I thought everyone experienced the world. So seeing a burst of colors just comes with the territory. So right now I'm looking at a chart from the study that describes some of the different phases a sexual synesthete might experience. And they're as follows. I'm reading from the chart here. The phases range from zero to four, and number zero is appetence phase, one is excitement phase, two is plateau phase, three, orgasmic phase, that's the exciting one, four, resolution phase. And it's kind of just like how any sexual experience would be with the characteristics they list off. With zero, which is the appetence phase, it's like the sexual fantasy, the development of sexual drive, and then it increases from there. So you go to heavy breathing, rise of blood pressure, the sexual flush, and then it goes to the excitement phase and then the orgasmic phase and then it goes into like after the orgasm and you're kind of chill and with what they're seeing that I see from this chart, it starts out really come with more of an orangish character. And then as their sexual experience increases, so do their visual cues all the way up to the point where they'll start to see like a wall and fog transforming in front of their eyes. And when they hit the orgasmic phase, that's when things go wild. The wall bursts, they have ring-like structures, and there's like this violet hue and tones that are everywhere. It sounds like a really amazing, overwhelming experience. And then in the resolution, it kind of calms down again and just has calm colors. So just from this chart, it sounds amazing. I'm not gonna lie. It sounds really cool. All right, let's go to another type of synesthesia, spatial sequence synesthesia. So people with this form of synesthesia experience numbered sequences as visual patterns or in distinct locations. While researching this, I found many different sketches and computer renderings of people attempting to show or explain what someone experiencing this might see. And it's pretty trippy. So often there's a stick figure or character represented as the synestite, and they're surrounded by various sequences, such as the alphabet, a calendar, or months and numbers. And these arrangements usually project onto the space around them, either wrapping around the individual's body or just dangling, as if by magic, by where they're standing. Some look like a wide, somewhat deformed hula hoop of letters hanging in the air. Others are depicted as words lined up in front of the person, like they're looking out at a crowd of David of the week. And a lot of these sketches have colors assigned to each sequence as well. Pretty astonishingly, research has shown that individuals with this form of the condition have somewhat of a superior memory. They can recall the dates of historical events much better than your average bear. And I'm guessing I probably would too if I could look out in front of me and almost touch the date of a specific memory. Which brings me to synesthesia and memory. I'm going to assume that people with synesthesia in general probably rarely, or maybe even never, forget a birthday, anniversary, or person they've met. And I'm guessing this is because they can associate these things with more than one sense, such as remembering something like the name of a person you met a long time ago. A person with grapheme color synesthesia may think, oh, I remember this person was blue, and blue means B, so their name must start with a bee. Bob, Ben, Barry, that's it, Barry. I don't have any form of synesthesia myself, but there was a memorization trick I learned a while back and I to this day use it to memorize science scripts for the videos I do online. I'd say I'm mimicking a form of spatial sequence synesthesia when I'm doing this, But I take a paragraph I've written and I try to imagine it visually as a physical space, like a house with rooms and stuff inside. So I go through the paragraph and attribute certain words to objects in the house. For instance, if I'm trying to memorize the quote, everyone in the world is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. So I'd start by picturing myself walking up to the door of the house, looking down to see a doormat that says, everyone, welcome which allows me to remember the first word of the quote, everyone. Then I'd picture myself opening the door of this house and imagining a globe on a table to the left of the door, associating it with the word world. Then I'd visualize walking in the house, looking on the walls where a diploma for Harvard is hanging. That symbol represents the word genius to me. Everyone in the world is a genius. Next, maybe I walk into the living room and there's a fishbowl on the coffee table in front of me, triggering the memory of fish. As I scan the room, I imagine a TV in the corner with a show on the screen where a boy is climbing an apple tree. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, on top of the TV, there's a business card for life insurance. I look to the corner of the room. There's a stool with a dunce cap on it. I associate this with the word stupid it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. So now that I have set up my imaginary house with all these little key memory visualizations, I can imagine I'm walking around that room to remember the quote, everyone in the world is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. It may seem like an odd way to memorize things, but picturing that scene in the order in which I visualize it really helps trigger my memory to the next line of the quote or whatever it is that I'm trying to memorize. Another memorization trick inspired by synesthesia I use is for people's names. I am the absolute worst at names. I can't remember them for the life of me. Because of this, whenever I meet a new person, I've learned to associate an image or other sense with their name. So for instance, I remember when I first met my fiance's mom, Stacy, I'd picture the chorus of the music video, Stacy's mom has got it going on. And I know, but it was his mom and her name Stacy. And it's usually the most absurd things to help you memorize something. Sorry, Stacy, if you're listening to this, I love you. (laughs) I've actually been doing this kind of name memory game since I was a kid. I met a guy named Sebastian in first grade. And to this day, I still think of Sebastian the crab from little Ariel when I think of or say his name. And I did have to go out of my way to create these connections myself. So my experience isn't exactly like someone who actually has synesthesia, but training ourselves to have certain synesthesia characteristics can have a load of benefits. And even if we can't see the sound of a dog barking as an explosion of red or a taste of bananas when we hear the word hippo, that doesn't mean us non-synostites don't do our fair share of mixing the senses together. After all, our language, poetry, and everyday conversations are riddled with sensory entwinements and metaphors, such as sweet personality and sharp cheese. These phrases blend the senses plenty. How exactly can a person be sweet or cheese take on a feeling of sharpness? Well, our minds have a great deal to do with it. It turns out, Sight, sound, and movement are all mapped very closely to one another in the brain, causing these criss-cross associations. Another way we mix our senses all the time and may not be aware of it is when we are watching a movie or TV show. We can easily believe that the sound we hear when someone is speaking is coming from the actor's voice, not in fact, the TV speaker's, which is where it actually is coming from. We are tricked into the illusion because our brain assumes that sights and sounds happening simultaneously have the same origin, which leads us to combine the two senses together. This is appropriately called the ventriloquism effect. And yes, ventriloquist as in the stage act where a person tricks the audience into thinking the little puppet is talking when actually it's them talking on the side of their mouth. This is referred to more commonly as multisensory processing. Our brain does a good job of mixing the senses, so as they say, the show can go on. While I was researching this topic, I had a few people tell me that if you feel the need to sneeze when you look at the sun, this is also in fact a form of synesthesia. It does seem to make sense that if a physical reaction is triggered after a visual stimulation, then synesthesia may be at play. An estimated 10 to 35% of people have this sneeze reflux, and it's more commonly referred to as photic sneezing. Given that percentage, and it seems pretty high, I'm surprised that the link between light and sneezing seems so ingrained in us quite often, whenever I look like I'm struggling with a sneeze, friends will, almost without fail, tell me to look at the sun to help it escape. And I can tell you, I've made my fair share of attempts to glance at the sun when I feel a sneeze coming on, but alas, it doesn't seem to do the trick for me. Like, it almost makes me not sneeze. And of course, don't stare at the sun too long. That's dangerous, peeps. So if you want to do this experiment, maybe look at a lamp or something. But why does this phenomena seem to work for others? Is it in fact synesthesia, or are people just allergic to bright light? The photic sneezing reflex has been on people's radar for quite some time. Even Aristotle mentioned it in his book of problems in 350 BC when he inquired, why does the heat of the sun provoke sneezing? He theorized that the sun caused the nose to sweat inside, which triggered a sneeze in order to expel the moisture. Though I can see how he came to this conclusion, he was proven incorrect, unfortunately, by 17th century English philosopher Francis Bacon, who had the idea of facing the sun with his eyes closed, and guess what happened? No sneeze. So he then assumed that the real reason one was compelled to sneeze was because looking into the sun made the eyes water, which led to that moisture trickling into the nose, resulting in a sneeze. People have been thinking so much about this. I think it's hilarious. I love it. So since the sneezing reflex happens so suddenly when you look into a light or the sun, scientists now think that hypothesis isn't correct either. Either way, this nasal reaction tends to be prompted by light. Even a camera flash or the turning on of an artificial light can cause this achoo. Though unfortunately, funding for the research to this nose-tickling riddle is limited, I can't imagine why, researchers have found that the tendency to sneeze in the sun's presence does seem to run in families. That and it seems to be a neurological entanglement of the trigaminal nerve, which is responsible for providing sensations in the face and the optic nerve, which cause the pupils of the eyes to restrict when exposed to light. Though the popular theory with scientists is that the photic sneezing is more so a reflex rather than a disorder and not a form of synesthesia, still much more is yet to be discovered about this odd phenomena. All right, sadly, I must bring this episode to a close, and if you out there discover you have synesthesia, or maybe if not, at least have a hyper-awareness of all your senses now, I can tell you I've never focused so hard on all the information my body takes in until looking into this fascinating topic. And I've come to find that even if I'm not a synestite, All of our senses shape our realities in very personal ways to us. If you found this topic fascinating and want to research more about synesthesia, some other books on this topic are Born on a Blue Day, A Mango-Shaped Space, The Frog Who Croaked Blue, as well as the book I mentioned earlier that sparked this whole episode, Wednesday is Indigo Blue. Love this book. Can't say it enough. If you like this episode of Little Curiosities, please share. I absolutely love doing this podcast, and anything you can do to help get the word out is so much appreciated. I'll also love you a little bit more if you subscribe too, because then we can catch up and learn about all this funky, cool world stuff together every single week. So, with that, I bid you adieu. Ciao! Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q Code production, executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson, produced by Ryan Counts House, edited by Neely Oftering, music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Whether you're in a relationship, single, or recently heartbroken, you could be navigating some tough stuff. And it really can be challenging to do this on your own. We all need help when it comes to our relationships, very specifically our love lives. I'm Jillian, and each week on my podcast, Jillian on Love, I share skills on how to strengthen our relationships, how to build a stronger sense of self, and how to heal heartbreak and choose better partners. Learn how to start making change today and search for Julian on Love wherever you're listening now.